0: Today we're going to answer questions like how much money can your indie game make, and what things go into a good title screen. How's it going everyone? virus stuff going on um, I'm sure you've noticed but I haven't posted as many episodes as I would have liked uh, the truth is I just got a lot going on so um, I'm gonna be changing the release schedule to a bi-weekly schedule on Wednesdays starting today and today we're gonna try a, a new format um, I'm just gonna call it quick tips and instead of sticking on to one subject, uh, I think I'm just gonna jump around to a bunch of different subjects,, uh, just things that piqued my interest and things I want to talk about. And we'll probably go back to the old format uh, and throw a couple of these quick tips episodes in every now and then. But first, we got to talk about the last idea jam. Um, I thought this one was pretty cool. This might be my favorite one so far, but if you don't remember, it was design an RPG class that hasn't been done before or is new and unique. Um, Go so listen to the last episode about designing RPG classes. I think it was really a good one, probably one of my most in-depth ones. And But anyways, we have an entry from um, Froglegs here. And I'll paraphrase the conversation we had because it was a kind of a longer conversation. But basically Froglegs says, um, My idea is a tamer kind of class. It's got three skill trees, nature, mechanic, and chaos. Nature is a typical tame the beast. Um, it's going to fight for you. Uh, sort of skill tree, and it's focused on the healing and power of nature, and its secondary focus is DPS. Um, that's important. If you go back to the last episode, we talked about the roles in designing RPG classes, how you want, typically you want healer, DPS, tank, um, or some sort of mixture of that. So keep that in mind when we're discussing the framework of this. Froglegs goes on to say, Uh, The Mechanic tree would be to tame machines. And uh, machines would be good at tanking, as it fits aesthetically with their metal plates and all that, and have a secondary focus on healing and the ability to repair themselves. Lastly, the Chaos tree would be your traditional sort of necromancer, evil monster, um, sort of summoner or tamer. And its primary focus would be DPS and kind of tank secondary. And I'm glad that Frogleg sent this in because it brings up uh, something that I didn't talk about in the last episode, but or I didn't really get into too much depth on, but it's the idea of having, um, when you're designing classes, you mix the roles, like mixing a tank and a healer, mixing a DPS and a tank, and I think we did talk a little bit about mixing the classes, but a summoner character is a good example of a class, it's kind of like a meta class, right, because... With your different skill trees, you can have like a healing summoner, a tank summoner, a DPS summoner. And it's a good bridge because um, it's a really versatile and flexible class. And so it allows you to bring something to your party that you might not normally have. For instance, if you don't have a dedicated tank in your party, but you have a summoner who can summon a tank, then that kind of gives you like one extra... Um, person. And although it's not as good as a dedicated tank, it does allow the role to be filled. So yeah, I think that's really interesting about summoning characters and taming characters is how they can sort of be flexible uh, and be everything. On the flip side, I think, and I'm sure there are games that have done this, I just can't think any of any on the top of my head, but I'm sure there are summoner characters who actually are extremely specialized or even get real weird with it. Like maybe there's a summoning character that has a skill tree that revolves around crafting and their summons help with crafting. That would be a pretty unique twist and I think that would take a lot of game design to get that to fit. But still, I think it was a pretty good idea. So thank you, Froglegs, for sending in a submission. For our next jam, um, idea jam... We're going to do the topic of redesigning a reload mechanic for modern shooters. Oh, and by the way, I should explain what the Idea Jam is, in case this is your first episode. Um, Every week, you know, I give a prompt, sort of like a writing prompt, and then uh, you send me in your ideas for it, then I talk about them on the show. And if you want to get a hold of me, um, you can send me a DM on Twitter, at underscore Zacavelli. That's Z-A-C-K-A-V-E-L-L-I underscore. So, again, that's underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Or you can send me an email at uh, interactive at gmail.com. So, again, the idea jam for next week is redesign a reload mechanic for modern shooters. I thought this was an interesting idea. Um, I'm going to get into it a little bit later. But... Uh, Yeah, you know what? Just listen for it later, and then you'll see why I picked this idea. So with that, we're going to get into the body of the episode. Um, This episode is going to be a quick tips episode. It's quick tips number one. Um, This is just like things that had come into my head that I want to talk about. I didn't really have a topic for this week, so we're just going to talk about a few random topics. So the first one, and this is one that gets asked a lot around the internet, um, and I think there's a lot of bad answers and not really any one good or true answer. Um, and that's how much money can an indie game make. Probably have seen things like Stardew Valley sells millions of copies made by one guy. He's become a a millionaire over making a his dream video game. Or maybe you've seen, uh, if you remember, a game called Flappy Bird. For mobile devices. I think at one point it was making $50,000 a day on ad revenue. And it's really cool to see these big numbers but what you got to realize is that probably 95% of indie games or indie game ideas I should say either never make it to market or when they do they don't break even. And as I've said before um, financial success isn't always why you make a video game. In fact For a lot of people, they just want to make a video game because it's fun and they aren't expecting any financial success. But I think we'll all agree that it's nice to have financial success, so that might be something you want to calibrate when you're starting to think about your game. And the first mistake you might make is making comparisons to games like Flappy Bird and Stardew Valley. In the case of Stardew Valley, um, it was one guy who was extremely determined, who hit a niche market perfectly, and honestly, he's just a game developer with a talent that is far above most people. He goes by Concerned Ape, um, if you want to look him up, but yeah, he basically taught himself everything about game dev and then made it Stardew Valley. And yeah, the rest is history. I mean, he made millions off that game. In the other case, it was Flappy Bird. Which was kind of just like a viral hit back when mobile games still could get that kind of exposure and grow to that kind of level. And it's not that mobile games can't do that anymore, it's just that the market is so saturated that it'd be really, really hard to replicate that nowadays. So, yeah, I think these are bad comparisons for most people because these are definitely um, atypical. In other words, These are like the extreme outliers of success. But I don't mean to make everything sound doom and gloom. You definitely can make money with your games, especially if you make a good game. And if you want to learn how to make a good game, just uh, keep listening to the episodes. But there are some other things to consider that'll help your sales. And the first one might seem pretty simple, but it's actually pretty huge. And it's uh, having good art. Go listen to my episode, I think it's um, number three, about making art for non-artists, because when I say good art, I don't mean you have to, you know, be a talented artist to have a financially successful game, but you do have to have an art style that stands out or something that jumps out or something that attracts people to want to buy your game over the thousands and hundreds of thousands of other games that they see on Steam or on the uh, mobile platforms and stuff like that. Another thing that helps with sales is having a following before you release your game. And this can be done with good marketing, which is the other um, big thing that really helps. And this is basically just having a community built around your game. And the good news about this is if your game's good enough, there'll be a community um, even after your release. And so you really want to do right by your community because. They're going to drive most of your sales and it just kind of keeps like a happy ecosystem. Yeah, you could always kind of try to appeal to the masses, but I think actually going super niche and like really focusing on the small group of people that really are into your game and all of its like weird aspects that might not be um, palatable to the majority of people, I think that's actually a better business strategy than trying to go super generic and capture, like, a little bit of dedication from everyone. That is to say, I'd rather have a small group of people who are really into my game than a bunch of people who are kind of into it. And maybe that's going outside of the financial talk, because, you know, from financially that sounds crazy. Financially, you'd probably want the most people possible. Because if all you care about is financially, then all you really care about is the amount of people who click the buy button. But I, I just don't prefer to run business like that. I think if you had a niche community, um, like the power of word of mouth and recommendation, especially in the era of social media, I think you could really unite a pretty good following of people if you focused on the smaller interests. And the last thing, well, there's two more things that I think really help sales. First is the cost. Um, and this isn't just the cost that someone has to pay to play your game, but the cost it takes you to make it, I think, is, is pretty important. For myself, um, the biggest cost probably will come from your time invested. And for myself, I don't really count that, which sounds like cheating. But to me, I like making video games. So, like, the cost is zero, I would pay money to do it, and getting to do it for free is, that's a net win in my book. And so I look at profit as on top of doing my hobby, that's something that I like doing, I also get money, some money for it. So yeah, that's why I don't consider my time invested. Now, you might be limited because you might only have, maybe you have like a normal job, like a day job, um, which I do have. And then you're saying, well, I just can't afford the cost in time. Like, I just don't have enough hours in the day. And that's where, like, techniques where you're managing your scope of your game um, really helps. And so, yeah, your time invested, I don't really think of it as in a money cost, but there is definitely a cost of your time, right? It's the, it's the only thing you have that you can never get back. So consider the size of your game and how big it is and whether or not your time invested will be worth it. But... If you really love it, then I think your time invested will always be worth it. And the other kind of costs come from things like software and hardware, stuff like that. Um, If you're just starting out, I don't think you should buy any software. There's tons of good free software for making a game, and you can make a perfectly legitimate game that goes to market for absolutely free. You can learn from free, you can get a game engine for free, art assets for free. And so kind of piggybacking off that, I I came up with a workflow that you can do for entirely free. A workflow, a software that is. If you don't know what a workflow is, it's kind of like your method and the softwares that you use softwares? Software that you use to um, make your game. So first you're gonna need an engine and if you've listened before you know I'm a big fan of Unity 3D. Um, It's totally free Um, It's called Unity 3D. I don't know if they've changed it from Unity 3D to just Unity now, but it does 3D and 2D. I would argue that it's as good in in 2D as it is in 3D. And yeah, you can make a game and take it to market for totally $0. Um, I think if you make $100,000, then you have to pay Unity a little bit, but if you've made that much money, then, you know buying the unity subscription which is like a hundred and some dollars i think it's like 131 a month yeah you're just gonna have you're gonna have no problems with that if you're making a hundred thousand dollars so with that though you still have to get your art assets for unity and as i said uh, i think like two episodes back you can definitely make your game art for free by yourself um using things, free software like GIMP, which is kind of the free alternative to Photoshop, and Blender, which is kind of like a free 3D modeling software. And I, I really like both of these. They work really good. So yeah, if you need to make art, you get them from GIMP if you're doing 2D or Blender if you're doing 3D. For sounds, um, I want to do an episode on sound design. I don't know that much about it, to be honest, but sounds are just really cool and, and also... For a podcast, I mean, you could do a really sweet video game podcast on video game sounds, but um, I use Audacity, and I'm sure there are better. I think they're called DAWs, Digital Audio Workstation. That's what the softwares are called. I said softwares again, man. That's what the software is called. Um, and I use Audacity, which is a free one, and it's worked fine for me. But again, I haven't really dove deep into audio design for video games yet so there might be better options out there for you but audacity will work if it's like your first game and then lastly for marketing if you're going to put money into your game i think you should do probably at the top of your list should be marketing and art Um, social media obviously is, is a good way to get marketing for your game but to be honest it can be really hard to grow a following for free. Although it's not impossible. You can do it. Um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of time, uh, but it can be done. But another thing that can be done is if you had just like $200 and you put it into Facebook ads or Instagram ads and you targeted the right kind of subgroups of people, people who are interested in your genre of game or interested in games in general, I think you could actually get a lot of value back in terms of, um, followers and people who might be interested in buying your game so yeah to kind of conclude that point um the indie game dev kind of business is tough it's pretty rewarding because it's fun to do but to be a financial success it, it is tough it's competitive but it's not impossible it's something i think everyone can do as long as you kind of build a good game and lastly i'll put if you're in it just for the money there are much better investments of your time. You can get rich making indie, game, indie games, but most people will not. Most people do it for the love of doing it. And if you're going to put this much time into something, you might as well do it because you love it. And if you're going to do it for the wrong reason, which is for money, you'll get a way better ROI on like learning how to day trade or learning like a craft or something. So yeah, with that, uh, let's move on to the next quick tip. And The next thing I want to talk about um, is what makes a good start screen. This is a topic I really really like because I really love video games where I love making video games um, where the art and the sort of functionality and the technical part of it kind of merge together. And I think a video game start screen It's like the perfect example where the art and the technicals kind of merge. So first, let's talk about the technical side of it. Um, A good rule of thumb is to have the fewest amount of clicks to get to the play, or the fewest amount of button presses to get to play the game. So if you have like a, a start menu or whatever, and you have to press a million buttons... Um, the truth is you just especially on like a mobile platform you're just gonna lose people before they even play your game so you wanna jump them into the fun part like right away and there are some games um, where they don't even have a start like the game just starts like it'll say like press X to start Um, and I think if you really gotta consider your audience to know if that's a good idea or not for instance that method works really good on phone games, right? Because people who are playing phone games, they're probably playing that because they don't have a lot of time already. You know, maybe they're on the bus or in the bathroom or something. So you want to get to the action, like, as as fast as you can. On the other hand, if you're making a PC game, well, PC players are going to want a good settings menu, right? Because the whole point of having a PC is that you kind of can customize the games and everything on it to how you like it and so pc players are going to expect a settings menu that goes in depth and has a lot of options for them to change but if you're playing games on iphone you know you probably don't care about settings at all which is why you have an iphone (laughs) not a shot on iphone people i mean i understand the simplicity but you know apple products are not exactly known for their flexibility and customizability so now let's talk about the artistic part of the screen and to me this is a lot harder like all things art it's a lot harder to kind of teach good art you kind of have to be a good artist to teach good art And I'm not a bad artist, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not formally trained in art or anything. Although I will say my stick figure, um, (laughs) my stick figure sort of panoramas are immaculate. But anyways, I think the art part's important because it kind of sets the tone and feel for your game. Um, like right away, it's the first thing your player sees. I always talk about associating your game with a feeling or... The goal of the game is to give your players a compelling feeling. And so the very first thing they see should be something that compels them to play the game or gives them a good feeling or maybe gives them like a scary feeling if you got a horror game. (laughs) It might be, I don't know if this will work, but it might be kind of cool to have a jump scare as your menu screen. People might date you for it, but someone should try it. Can you imagine the very first thing is like a scary face jump scare before you even press the start button? That might really set the tone for the rest of the game. But yeah, I think everyone can do better than just like a static splash screen. That's kind of boring. It's old. It's been done like since the 80s, since arcade games. Even arcade games had like cool, you know, like pre-roll videos, so... Get real creative with it. Kind of express your artistic expression. Um, A good way to do this is like go look at some photography rules. Just some very basic. Watch like a 10-minute video on YouTube about photography. And then compose your start screen like it was a a beautiful picture. So with that, you want to consider things like the rule of thirds, um, you know, color schemes, all that good stuff. And so to sum up that point... um, the title screen of your game is extremely important. It's going to be the first thing that your player sees and feels and associates with your game. So you want to make sure that it functionally is sound. And you do that by having the fewest amount of clicks to get to the play, but also considering your audience uh, if they want things like settings, menus, and leaderboards, stuff like that. But also, from an artistic standpoint, you want to Invoke those feelings that should be associated with your game. And if you think that's like kind of woo-woo or, you know, isn't really a thing, go onto YouTube. In fact, I'm telling you to do this right now. If you don't do it, I'll be disappointed. Go onto YouTube and search The Legend of Zelda or of Time title screen. And just sit and watch that and tell me that that doesn't give you some kind of feeling. And that feeling you're feeling is hard to explain, but I think it really captures the essence, uh, the sort of sense of wonder and adventure that that game has in it. And that's all the way back from, like, the late 90s on the N64. So that was with not great graphics. Granted, at the time, they were some of the best graphics, but by today's standards, not very good graphics, weird, clunky animations, and yet still... That is a amazing art piece. Just the title screen alone is an art piece that makes you feel something. So let's talk about um, the next tip. So the next tip I have are strategies to innovate. And by innovate, I mean come up with new sort of game ideas or mechanics that are kind of new twists or maybe an entirely new idea. This is a good way to have your game stand out. Um, for instance, there were mods. There's this uh, military game called Arma. I think it's this happened in Arma too. Um, and modders, you know, would change the game and kind of innovate and and make the game fun or change parts of it that they thought needed to be changed. They basically innovated on a game that was already made. But one of the things they did was made a game mode where. A bunch of people were dropped onto an island and you had to pick up the weapons and fight each other down to the last man and it started with like like 50 people of course you're probably thinking hey that sounds a lot like fortnite well these modders through innovating actually birthed a brand new genre the battle royale genre in fact if you've heard of pubg which stands for player unknowns battlegrounds player unknown is one of the original modders of the Arma game. And uh, yeah, he was like one of the first people to really help and innovate on the Battle Royale scene. So you never know when your innovations or the changes you make to a game or your ideas can birth a whole new genre. So it's it's worth exploring all these kind of outsider ideas, I think. And I've, I've got a couple ways that I like to do it, um, and I just wanted to share them. The first one is... Think of the most boring part of your favorite video game, and then make a whole video game about that. So as of late, probably for like the last two years, I've been playing a lot of Rainbow Six Siege. Um, And this kind of goes for all modern shooters, but to me, the most boring part, or I wouldn't say boring, but the most thoughtless part is reloading. All you do really is press a button, and then you have to reload. There are some games that even totally forego this and you just have infinite ammo, but this is where the game idea jam comes from. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation to be made on reloading mechanics in video games. Like, what if the speed of your reload depended on how fast you could actually eject the mag, grab a new mag, and put it in? What if you had to do, like, a quick time event to, you know, figure that out? And I think there are games, I'm trying to think... There is a game where like, you can hit a quick reload or a, it might be Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, where after you run out of ammo, there's like a bar and you have to kind of time it and hit the button right at the right time and then you get like a quicker reload. And I think that's just the beginning. I think there will be innovations on reload mechanics, so it might be cool to design an entire game around reloading. Like, um, I used to do this in college when we would shoot clays with a shotgun, but this is probably dumb, and I would not recommend anyone doing this. There's a thing with shotguns um called trick reloading, so if you don't know like you like a pump shotgun like classic in the movies, you know you pump it backwards and forwards and kind of makes that like ch noise well when you put it backwards, it opens like the breach where the shells go in, and so what we used to do was like throw the shell up in the air and try and catch it in the breach and then slide it forward and you know load it and shoot it and it's cool it makes you feel like an action movie star Uh, again I mean as long as you know what you're doing it's safe but I wouldn't recommend it in fact just don't listen to me don't don't try that but in a video game sense it might be cool to make a video game where you know you have to like literally throw your ammunition into your gun like throw it up and catch it in the gun and shoot it but yeah I'm sure you guys have some cool ideas for that and um, yeah, remember to send them to me for next week's Game Idea Jam. So another way to innovate is to take a genre and break the generally accepted rules. And this is one of my favorites because this is where you can get real weird with it and come up with some like pretty crazy game ideas, but like one out of every 20 crazy game ideas you have is actually like a really solid idea. Granted, the other 19 just sound <laughs> like insanity, but still it's a fun exercise. And so let's think of like generally accepted rules in a video game. How about in um I don't know, this is I got a feeling this is gonna be one of the nineteen of twenty. That's gonna be a a dumb idea, but how about we think about a real time strategy game, so games like StarCraft, Warcraft, um, Age of Empires, stuff like that. What's generally accepted in that? Well there's usually a economy kind of thing. Like, you have to mine gold to to pay for your units. So, and that's pretty general through all RTS games. So let's break that rule, and let's say, well, what if we had an RTS game where there was no economy? Then we get into, well, then why wouldn't you just spam as many troops as possible? Well, what if we had a different way of making troops? Maybe you had to maybe it's got like a magic theme and you have to perform some ritual and that ritual is like a combination of keyboard buttons and the ritual is randomized so you can't just like spam the same one over and over and over. So in a way that kind of turns you into the minion that um, mines the gold or whatever. Like you have to do that work up front to get the soldiers in uh, units that you want. Let me know... (laughs) Let me know if you think that's a 1 out of 20 idea or a 19 out of 20 idea in terms of innovation. But it's it's thought experiments like that that every now and then will lead you to a really, really good idea. And don't be afraid to get real weird with it, even if your ideas sound crazy, like they would never work. Um, that's one of my favorite ways to come up with game ideas. Because, like I said, one of those 20 times you're going to come up with something that is actually really really cool and really unique so with that i think i'm gonna um end the episode um you can send me your comments or reach out to me about the uh idea jam that's at underscore zachavelli underscore on twitter um zachavelli is spelled z-a-c-k-a-v-e-l-l-i Um, And then there's underscores on both sides of that. If you want to send me an email, that's uh, cottage interactive at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, like I said, I'm going to change to a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, I'm shooting for releases on Wednesdays. Um, If you could leave like a review or comments or send me some messages, that'd be really cool. I'd love to keep going with this, and I think I will keep going with this. Um, It's kind of steadily growing, and I'm just going to let it take its time and yeah this is five episodes in and i'm really liking it so i've been zachavelli uh remember to get real weird with it and i'll see you guys next time